You may be seated. All right, before we get into our sermon text this morning, let us offer a prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the midst of everything that we have going on in our lives, we pause this morning and we humbly seek your divine truth. Show us a deeper meaning for our lives and show us how we may glorify you and enjoy a deeper relationship with you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know if anyone else has felt like this past year has been some kind of weird time warp of a year. For example, I'm in the midst of planning for our youth fall retreat, and I have, I have to catch myself because each time I refer back to the last one we did, I, I keep finding myself saying, well, last year, wait, no, two years ago when we last did this trip, it's like this last year has kind of fallen into this weird space, and we kind of don't know what to do with it. And here we are now in the summer of 2021, yet holding the 2020 Summer Olympics. And I've thought about how for the athletes trying to train, to be at their peak performance for the games, I'm sure the last 18 months for them has been especially difficult for a number of reasons. But overall, I'm happy that the games are happening this summer. Um, I think the Olympics are special. I enjoy the Olympics. I always have, even since I was a kid. Um, you know, there's something about watching the most premier athletes from all around the world come together in the spirit of sportsmanship and to play, not for money and things like that, but just to play and perform for their country, to do their country, you know, to do the best they can for their country, to stand up on that podium if that's what they, uh, if they achieve that uh, status. But What I also really like about the Olympic Games is the vast array of events that are typically not broadcasted in the mainstream media. I mean, how often is ping pong and badminton, you know, broadcasted in primetime TV? Not that often. But, you know, if it's on, I'm going to watch it this summer, because why not? Uh, this, This notion of sport and games... I think we love it so much because it has great parallels to life. You know, there's things about sport that can point to just some great life lessons. Life is like a race. It's, you know, we describe it like a race sometimes. There's, there's a beginning and there's an end. And then there's a lot of work that sometimes has to be put, uh, has to be done in between. And I like to think that the Apostle Paul was a sports fan as well. We see scattered about some of his letters, sporting language, and probably the most notable of these references is found in our text today. And so I'm just going to go ahead and jump into the text, and we'll, the, we'll then talk about the greater context of why he's maybe saying that, and who he's saying that to, and what he's saying. So our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Paul writes, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. 
So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. So let's talk about context. Because we can actually piece together quite a bit of information to help us. So first, this passage is part of a letter that Paul is writing to Christians living in Corinth. So let's take a look at the map and where Corinth is. And if you'll see right here. Okay, so here's Corinth. Here's Greece, what would be like modern-day Greece. Here's the Aegean Sea. This is modern-day Turkey. And so Corinth lies right here. And that's going to be pretty important in just a second. But that you see how it's almost situated on that narrow strip of land? You see above it, there's this kind of big landmass, and then below it, there's a big landmass, and it's just right there. Do you know what that's called in geographic terms, that little thing? An isthmus? I think I said it right. I'm not going to try to say that a lot this sermon because it's hard for me to say, but an isthmus. <laughs> that's what that little thing's called. And so that's where Corinth is located. And that's a pretty important aspect because all the people traveling from north to south, they have to go through that little bitty thing. Or, and it also is, is, makes for a convenient port city because there's water on both sides. So there's a lot of travelers going to and from um, the area of Corinth. As one commentary put it, this location made Corinth a flourishing crossroads for sea traffic between the Aegean region and the western Mediterranean. Well, it's also really important, as we're thinking about context, to know that Paul had some history with the Corinthians. Paul had been to Corinth during his second journey. So we know that Paul took three missionary journeys. The first one, he basically stayed in what's modern-day Turkey. He kind of mainly stayed over here. And in the second one, he went through Turkey and extended on into Corinth. And we know this in Acts chapter 18. And in Acts chapter 18, it describes Paul staying in Corinth for at least a year and a half. And while he was there, he picked up work as a tent maker. That's when, that's when we find out that Paul also worked as a tent maker, at least at times. And he preached the gospel there. It says, for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. But now Paul is on his third journey. And that's what this map represents here. So he's, he's starting here. He's making his way across Turkey. And see, here's Ephesus. So the book of Ephesians, that's, that's the people of Ephesus. That's who that's written to. But on his third missionary journey, he stops in Ephesus, and he stays there for a while, almost three years. I think sometimes we kind of we read through Acts, and I think we read through too quickly. We kind of miss those time markers that he spent time with these people. He wasn't just passing through. He wasn't taking a quick vacation like we do. You know, we get excited when we take a, w a week off and, like, you know, travel around. Paul is really journeying around. He's spending lots of time with these churches, with these people, spreading the gospel. And it's during the stay in Ephesus, about A.D. 53 to 55, that he learns that the Corinthians, the, the, his friends over here in Corinth, on the other side of the Aegean Sea, are struggling. They're struggling to be a unified and loving community. And so he writes to the Corinthian Christ-following church. And again, our text is in the book 
of the Bible that we call 1 Corinthians. But it's, remember, it's actually not a book. It's a letter that he's writing. And actually, it wasn't the first letter that he wrote. Paul wrote at least four letters that we know of to the Corinthians. And I've got this graphic. So the first letter, we don't have a copy of it. But it's referenced in, if you go to 1 Corinthians 5.9, it's referenced that he says, in, in my letter. He had already written one. But what we have as 1 Corinthians is actually his second letter. And then he wrote a third letter, which we also don't have a copy of, but it's referenced in 2 Corinthians. You can look that up later if you want. And then the fourth letter is what we have as 2 Corinthians. So there's a real, I, I say all this to set up, there's a real relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. Not only did he spend a lot of time with them, but he wrote to them multiple times. He was really engaged with what was going on in that community. And he was really trying to um, speak to the, the troubles that they were having. He wanted them to be this unified, loving community. And so in his letter, he addresses divisions that were happening in the church, and, and he raises some specific you know, issues that were causing tension. And it's also in this letter in 1 Corinthians, from our, uh, where we find our text today, that he talks about, you know, the body is a unit. It has many members and, you know, maybe many different gifts, but it's all part of one body. And he's trying to tell the church, yeah, you might have some differences, but you're one body. You're the body of Christ together. He reminds them of that. He stresses unity among the members. 1 Corinthians is also the letter of the famous love passage Love is patient. Love is kind. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but hopefully you know which passage I'm talking about. He stresses that Christ followers should live in humility with love toward one another. And it's in that same letter we find this illustration using sports. And before we talk about what he means, let's just consider the question just overall. Why use sports as an illustration? It's a good question, because it makes sense to us, but it's a really good question when we um, think about it in light of this Corinthian audience. The illustration of sport and athletics would have likely really resonated with the Corinthians. Sports and athletes were an esteemed thing in the ancient Greco-Roman world, not probably you know, unlike we are today. We know about the great Colosseum in Rome, but all around the Mediterranean, stadiums were built for competitions. And over the course of Paul's missionary journeys through Turkey and Greece, he would have been familiar with such stadiums and the events of the day. So this is actually a, so that goofy person in the middle, that's me attempting to be an athlete. And that's an ancient stadium, a Greco-Roman stadium. This a particular stadium. It's one of the largest and best preserved stadiums, and it was built sometime during the first century, during, you know, when Paul lived. And this particular stadium was in the ancient city of Aphrodisias, which is located modern-day Turkey, just east of Ephesus, not too far from where Paul would be, have been writing this letter to the Corinthians. So this is kind of the architecture that it would have looked like. And this stadium, if you can, if you can tell, it's really long, it's, it's longer than a football field. It's about three football fields long, and it's about 65 yards wide. So it's kind of skinny, but really long. And this particular stadium could hold up to about 30,000 people. That, that's quite a crowd. 
especially for that time, 30,000 people gathering for games and sport and events. Well, let's talk about sporting events around Corinth. So let's move from, from Turkey or modern-day Turkey, Ephesus area, back over to Greece and Corinth. Can you think of any particularly important sporting events that may have had its origins in ancient Greece? Give you a hint, they might be on TV right now, the Olympics, right? Okay, okay, just wanted to sure y'all knew that was happening. So, the original Olympics happened you know, in, modern, or in ancient Greece, on the peninsula of Greece. And we find the, I mean, it's the same games that we, we honor and kind of celebrate today. And they were held in Olympia. And I just brought this map back up. So Olympia is not on the map, but it's kind of in this corner right under the edge of where it says Corinth. That, that's where Olympia would be. That's where the original Olympic Games would have been held. Okay, that's kind of important. Because the original Olympic Games just like in modern times, were held every four years. When there's a pandemic, it's on the fifth year. But for the most part, every four years, every Olympiad, the word Olympiad is a, is a measurement of time for every four years. And the Olympics were, and were not the only games that were held. So there, the games of the full Olympiad were this. On year one, it would be the big show, the Olympic Games. Year three, I'm going to skip two real fast. Year three is the Pythian Games. But notice years two and four, the Isthmian Games. Isthmian, Isthmus. So these games were held right outside of Corinth. I mean, just just down the road. Like, Corinth is here, and the games are just right outside of town pretty much. Um, I found this rendering from a website called deeperstudy.com. And so it shows this area of Isthmia, and you see the stadium. So kind of think that picture that I just showed you of the ancient stadium. That's kind of how it would have been oriented. And then you can see right up here to Corinth. So it's just right down the road from where Corinth is, the Isthmian games would have been played. And I wanted to quote... uh, from that same website, because uh, it kind of described what these games would have been like. I thought this would just be interesting for us. It says that throngs of people from all over the Roman Empire flocked to Isthmia, either to participate in or watch the competitions. According to Dio, a contemporary of Paul, the basic athletic events of the Isthmian games included foot races, wrestling, jumping, boxing, hurling the javelin, and throwing the discus. At one time or another in the history of the games, additional events, including horse racing, chariot racing, poetry reading, drama, singing, heralding, playing the lyre and the flute, and a painting competition. Yacht races uh, were also held in the nearby Gulf, um, and it says that events were scheduled for women as well as for men and also for children. So I just thought that was an interesting tidbit about kind of the culture and and what these games would have been like. And they happened, again, every two years. And this was a big event. People from all over traveled to these games. It was a big celebratory thing. And it was a big thing for their uh, culture and their, their economy as well. And it's likely 
I mean, we're just kind of supposing here, but it's likely that Paul for sure knew about the games, but possibly even attended these games while he was in Corinth for that year and a half. There would have been games that probably overlapped his stay there. And so he maybe even attended. We don't know, but he maybe have. And as a side note, you remember in Acts what Paul's kind of picked up profession was when he was in Corinth? He was a tent maker. And so there's a theory that possibly the tents that Paul made while he was in Corinth were bought by people attending the events. Like it was almost like a seasonal job. Whenever the people came in town for the events, well, there wasn't holiday inns and hotels and everything. So where did they have to stay? In tents. So maybe that was why Paul found a job making tents. We don't know that. That's just kind of a theory. But I think it kind of holds up. But back to our text. So Paul uses the illustration of sport in his letter to the Corinthians. And this likely connect well, connected well because of these games. They happened every two years. They were important to the, to the culture, to the society, to the people, to the economy, everything. Well, in today's time, sports are for the large portion of the population an important part of our culture as well. Sports provide us with great lessons for life, and I thought just for fun, I'd pull some life lesson sports quotes from the internet for us. And so let's see, this is from Vince Lombardi. The difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack of will. That's a pretty good one. All right, next one. Also, Vince, I have a few Vince Lombardi ones. He was, a, he was a good person to quote, apparently. It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get up. Probably heard something like that. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. All right, we're just going to roll through these. Keep going. Winners never quit, and quitters never win. Definitely heard that one before. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. See, some of the dads kind of taking notes now, like, yeah, these are good. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. That's empowering. I like that one. Uh, if you can't outplay them, outwork them. Ben Hogan. Don't let, fear, uh, don't let the fear of striking out hold you back. Babe Ruth. I put another Babe Ruth quote on here. If you can't, or you can't beat the person who never gives up. What else we have? Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Maybe you've heard of that one. Uh, Peyton Manning, one of my favorites. Remind your critics when they say you don't have the expertise or experience to do something that an amateur built the ark and experts built the Titanic. (laughs) So Peyton getting a little biblical. I like it. Also, Peyton, uh, the most valuable player is the one who makes the most players valuable. That's kind of sweet. Uh, Derek Jeter, there may be people that have more talent than you, but there's no excuse for anyone to work harder than you do. The last thing you want to do is finish playing or doing anything and wish you could have worked harder. Let's see, Tony Dungy, you can't always control circumstances. However, you can always control your attitude, approach, and response. Jerry Rice, today... I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I can accomplish what others can't. Michael Jordan, the great. Limits like fears are often just an illusion. All right, I have two more. The last two are uh, some Olympians. Well, I guess Michael Jordan was an Olympian too. But uh, Jesse Owens, 
We all have dreams, but in order to make dreams come into reality, it takes an awful lot of determination, dedication, self-discipline, and effort. And the last one, Michael Phelps, why not? If you want to be the best, you have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. All that just to say, sports can provide good life lessons. What we endure in sports and the training and the discipline that goes along in sports can often give us some good lessons for life. They have a shared experience. You know, the trials of sport sometimes kind of mirror the trials of life at times. But here's the thing. If all we are chasing in life is a shiny trophy or our own glory, we're missing it. If all we are chasing is our own worldly success, we are missing it. We've talked a lot about Corinth. We've talked a lot about the games. We've talked a lot about where Paul is and all this. But let's focus here on what Paul is saying. In this letter, he was trying to explain to the Corinthians that they are missing it. It's like, guys, you're missing it. They were getting too caught up in their own selfishness and pride. And they were missing the goal. They had lost sight of the finish line. They had lost focus on what truly mattered. And then just prior to our passage for today, Paul told them about how in his freedom, he makes himself a slave figuratively to others. And he does this in order to take the gospel message to everyone. He explains how his life is in service to bringing the gospel message to other people. Everything he does, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Let that be some words for us. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Paul illustrates for them what we all know. We all know that an athlete has to be prepared, body, mind, and spirit, if they hope to perform well at the games. They have to train. They have to be focused. They have to be self-disciplined. And and the Corinthians know that. They've seen the games. They've seen the athletes. We know that. We've seen the games. We've seen the athletes. But Paul points out that, you know, these athletes that we, you know, exalt and lift up, they're ultimately only chasing a perishable crown. The winner in those games would receive, you know, a wreath that would go around her head. And actually in those games, the wreath was, get this, made out of celery. That's the the Isthmian games, the wreath was made out of celery. That's just what it said. But Paul is saying, you know what? That celery wreath, it's not going to last forever. All that training and dedication they put in is for something that really ultimately doesn't last forever. And if all that effort was put into things that don't last, how much more important should it be for us to live with the same kind of determination and passion and discipline and focus for the things that last eternally? Paul is saying, run your life of faith that way. Don't just 
aimlessly go about it. Don't just beat the air thinking you're, you know, doing something. But pursue it with all your might and with your focus, with seriousness and determination and discipline. Because it takes work to love others, right? It takes work to love others. It takes sacrifice to serve others. It takes self-control to live with humility. It takes focus to live for the gospel. Even today for us, think about the, you know, the training that goes on in pre- uh, preparation for the Olympics. No one can say, you know what, Olympics is in two weeks. I think I'm going to go and win a gold medal in gymnastics, you know, in the ribbon twirling or anything like that. That's not how it works. That's absurd. You can't just get up with no training and say, I'm going to go and be a gold medalist. We know that there's training involved. There's intentionality and purpose. There's passion and dedication. There's sweat, blood, tears, and sacrifice involved. But the greatest race we run is the race of faith. It's a lifelong race. And it's an honor to run it. You know, a thing that uh, you hear often from Olympians is they talk about how much of a privilege and an honor it is just to be there at the Olympics. Well, likewise for us, how much of a privilege and honor is it for us to have these, this life of faith to live into? Because life and faith are both gifts from God. We can't forget that. I said earlier, I like to think of Paul as a sports fan. Um, but what he saw as most important was not momentary glory for earthly games. He aimed his pursuits so much higher than that. And he saw himself as this kind of athlete, this participant in the eternal kingdom of God. Look what he says. This is still Paul, but he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. He wants to know Christ and pursue Christ with his life. And here he's kind of using that athletic language, the sport language, that I'm going to press on toward that goal. My focus is Christ. That is my finish line. And look what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. He says to Timothy, train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You know, physical training, he says, fine, good, great, whatever. But more importantly, train yourself in godliness. Keep that perspective of eternity in mind. Keep your eyes on Christ. And finally, can't forget what he says in 2 Timothy. And this is when he's likely in a Roman prison 
shortly before his own death, and he writes this, As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. He had run the race of faith, that same race that we are all called to run. He had run that race of faith with his eyes fixed on Christ. Knowing that the end was near for him, he was ready to cross the finish line and into the arms of Christ. For us, life itself, whether we like it or not, can often feel like a race. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's going maybe a little too fast for us. So I think it's important that sometimes we ask ourselves, what kind of race are we running? How is your race going? How is your preparation and training going? What's your motivation and purpose? What's your finish line? What's your focus? What's your goal? Is it Christ? And for those of us as parents with kids at home, you know, what are we teaching our kids that matters most in life? We all want them to be successful, sure, but are we more concerned with them, them winning earthly crowns more than seeing them running the life of faith? Are we showing them with our words and actions and our parenting that godliness is more important than worldliness? That our eternal calling is more important than our earthly achievements? That our discipleship is more important than our scholarships? And that our faith is so much more important than our fame? For each and every one of us, whether you're a sports fan or not, the greatest race we can ever run is the race of faith that God calls us into. We can put so much effort into things that don't last, into celery wreaths to put on our heads. But let us consider today how much more important it should be for us to live with the same kind of determination and passion and discipline and focus on the things that really matter. So as the author of Hebrews encourages us, let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, of our faith. Run the race of faith, my friends. Amen. In this time of offering, let this be a time